Thank you. What a beautiful help meet, right? Right from my side. Yes. You know, there are wives of pastors, but my wife is a pastor's wife. So, uh, you know, that, that is um, something that, I don't know if you understand that, but a lot of pastors have wives, but my wife is a pastor's wife. Right beside me, alongside me, and that has always encouraged me, and I just thank you. I thank God for that. And I always ask God, God, what did she do to deserve a person like me? What, what did she do? She must have really been bad somewhere, and I still haven't found out what it was, but... Uh, Oh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, and then she says, no, we deserve each other. <laughs> we deserve each other, right? So just so you know, I, we've done, I've done, what, 42 years of a lifetime sentence. Oh, 40. What? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in it for the life of a long haul, man. <laughs> and she always tells me, and with no possibility of parole. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And you keep it up? No. She says, thank you, babe. I appreciate that. Anyways, let's open up our Bible. To Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. Actually, 19 through 23. That's what we're going to be going through. Pull out your outlines. Uh, you know, I just uh, was kind of scattered this morning. I don't know why, but um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to gather my thoughts and stuff. I didn't even know what time it was and all that. So, But here we are. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. As you know, we've been going through the book of Colossians. This is actually a letter Paul wrote from prison. Paul is addressing, and we've talked about this in length, Gnosticism and the Judaizers, or those people that wanted to hold on to the customs and the traditions of the Jewish people. Paul has come to the conclusion, and you got to remember that Paul was Saul, and he was a Pharisee, and he understood the law, and he, he knew how to hold the law. As a matter of fact, he was somewhat boasting when he said, you couldn't find a better Hebrew, a better Jew than me. I knew every, as for the law, I kept it perfectly. As for being a Hebrew of the Hebrews circumcised on the eighth day, trained by the highest uh, trainers and teachers of the land at that time. Saul, he was just immaculate. He was on fire. He was going places. And then he met Jesus Christ and he gave it all up. And he says, you know what? This is what I live for now. And he lost all his friends. He lost his notoriety, of course. Lost his position. Lost everything for all intents and purposes. He became a loser to the world or to the world that he belonged to. The culture called him a loser. And they wanted him dead. And they followed him everywhere he went because he proclaimed Jesus Christ. You don't need the law. And you definitely don't need all this other philosophical stuff that you're picking up. All you need is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that I'm willing to live for. That's the gospel that I'm willing to die for. And so as Paul is Saul, which is now Paul, he is proclaiming these messages throughout the world and talking to people, planting churches. And now he is in prison and he's encouraging them through these letters. And he talks to them. He says, you know, this is what I've heard. I've heard that there's infiltration of philosophy and these Judaizers that are coming in and they are distorting your thinking. They are distorting your understanding of what it is that I've, I've taught you and I've shared with you. I got it from Jesus Christ. Here's the letter so to help you understand this. And the beautiful thing about this letter to the Colossians is not only were they, they able to read it, but it's been preserved just so that we can read it. And if you start to read the book of Colossians and all these other letters, you'll see how, how much of a similarity there is between that culture and that time and that day and age to our culture and our time and our day and age. And so 
Paul, Paul is concluding this thought that he has as far as uh, giving thanksgiving and prayer and, and how he, he, he tells us that the preeminence of Christ, that Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And we read that last week. We talked about this. It took me two weeks to get through this to, to see how this is applying to the church and how it applies to us. And then in verse 17, he continues and he says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We talked about the Adam. We talked about how life, everything is being held together. Everything is just just so precisely put together that for it to happen at random, it's it's beyond me for anybody to actually put faith in something happening at random. When you think about how the the stars are placed in heaven and and how the cre- how uh, the sun is just so far away from where we're at, the sun is. If it was any further than where it's at right now, we would freeze. If it was any closer, it, we would we would melt. And how the Earth just rotates at a thousand miles per hour at the equator from east to west, and how how is it's, it's doing so at such a rapid speed. It does so every 24 hours or 23 hours and 56 minutes and 4 seconds to be exact. But it, it gives us the days and nights and, and then the tilting of the axis of the earth and how it's 23.5 degrees to give us the winter, spring, summer, fall and, and how all of it just kind of tilts back and forth. God says, this is how I want you to experience this world. And when you think about all this that is put together and how it's put together, how the moon is so, you know, 238,000 miles away. You know, when people tell you, you know, that uh, I love you to the moon and back. That's it? You only love me 238,000 miles? What's what's that? uh, uh, 477,000? That's all you love me under 500,000 miles? When you got this whole universe and that's as far as you want to love me? God says, I love you infinitely further than that. As far as the east is to the west, I have forgiven your sins. And you think about the distance of the moon and how it works a maid to clean the ocean and the tides that we get and how God just flung the stars into the sky and put everything in its place. He put that all into place so that he can hold it and he holds it together. Jesus Christ created all that and he holds it together. He is the creator, the sustainer of the whole universe. And one day, as we're going to see here in just a bit, and one day he's just going to let it all go. He's going to let it all go. And, and if the moon didn't, didn't remain exactly where it's at, if, then the tides would be washing over this world and tearing everything apart. Beloved, God holds these things together. And Paul is going straight up against this philosophy that, that uh, God sent these emanations, sent these pulses, these spirits. And out of those spirits that he sent down, one of them was a bad spirit. And it had to have created this evil, wicked world because this world is fallen. It's broken. And Paul goes right in the face of that. He says, no, no, it's Jesus Christ, who is God. He is the, 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 he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything. That's the hierarchy of the demonic world. Everything has a hierarchy. It's Satan and everything else. And Jesus Christ created them. And we talked at length about that last week, is how it is that nothing can harm you if God doesn't allow it to harm you. And there's times that we get tempted and we get pushed and we get uh, oppressed when we allow those things to oppress us. And everything is Father filtered. He even told Peter, you know, Satan has asked to sift you out, Peter. And Satan has to ask permission from Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of this world, for any of that to happen. You are not going to get possessed all on your own. 
It's not just going to one day happen to you as you're walking down the street and boom, you have to invite that in. And just in the same manner, those demonic spirits cannot oppress you if you are focusing on God and not on the oppression. They're there. And if you want to focus on them, guess what? You're going to get oppressed. Jesus Christ holds it together. He created it all and for his divine purpose. As a matter of fact, we'll find out here in just a bit in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and is everything, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul just laid it out. Everything that God is, everything that God has done, everything that you can read about God and know about God, it dwells within Jesus Christ. Father, we want to thank you once again for that marvelous, just beautiful expression of who Jesus Christ is, on what he's done and who he is, and how he holds everything together. And Paul, in just one sentence, just blew these people out of the water. And Father, we need to understand that it applies to us even today. There is nothing else. There is no one else. There's no, no other philosophy, no other teaching except Jesus Christ. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this message is being proclaimed throughout the world. We know that there are people and pastors and leaders and churches that are proclaiming this divine word that it's Christ alone and faith alone and through grace alone. We don't need the individual smartness or intelligence of people, of philosophies. We don't need another works that prayers or anything else that that we need to get saved by because it is only by what you have done and what you continue to do. So thank you, Father, for this beautiful truth. Lead us this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one in your outlines, God's pleasure to reconcile. Did you know that? God, God's pleasure is to reconcile us. God's pleasure is to reconcile us. And, and when you think about this amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and we think about the grace of God, and we think about the love of God, and we think about the mercy of God that is proclaimed and preached, it's difficult. And, and you know, we've, we've, and I say we as churches, as pastors, we have minimized and probably just used that word so often that, oh yeah, we know God loves us. And, and we've put it to such a point where, where a lot of people don't even really realize what, what they're being saved from or how is it that God loves. And you can't understand God's divine love without His divine justice. you got to understand the wrath that we were in. you got to understand what it is that we are saved from. And when Paul says that, as, as he's talking about this, he's talking about what Jesus Christ has done, and, and in case he left anything out, and what he's just talked about, Jesus Christ is, you know, and everything else, the fullness of God, everything that God has is in him, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. In Colossians chapter 2, we'll see that verse 3 out of your outlines. And he has no rivals. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you are complete in him. There is no other, there's nothing else needed. What's incredible is when you become a Christian, this is who you are. And, and John 1.16 says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The fullness that Jesus Christ bestows. Everything that God has given Him. Everything that He has, He has given it. I love this. To you. He has given it to me. 
And we got to understand that when he gives you something, he does not take it away. When you become a Christian, all that he is becomes yours. Everything. And so we got to live as such. This is why Paul kept saying, walk in such a manner of the call that you've been called. Walk in such a way. You know, you should just, and we talked about walking and what, because why? Because everything that Jesus Christ has that's been given to him has been given to you as well. The fullness of it. And we can stand secured in what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, and, and so as we, as we move and we see this, this fullness, a term that these people used to use, the Gnostics, the philosophers would use this to refer to a divine powers and these attributes that would come from heaven. And they would use this, this word, pleromas was the word that they used. And it's, they said it comes from these emanations. And we are filled with these emanations and, and it brings us to this elevated state, this divine, uh, thinking and this divine understanding because we're being filled by, we're being pleromad by this emanation of God that keeps us closer to Him. And the more that we're filled, the closer we get. And so their thought was to come to a, a congregation or church and proclaim to these emanations, these spirits, to fill me. Fill me so I can fill you. I want you to fill me here and fill me now. Fill me more and more and more so I can get closer to you. I don't know if that sounds any familiar to you and to some churches that, that actually do that. They come to church wanting to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you were filled. You've got everything already to proclaim and to ask and to call out and to pray for it. It's like a slap in the face to God. I've given it to you. You have all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is the fruit of the Spirit. You have it. To want to proclaim it and to want to be dwelt in it and want to be filled by it. And you want to feel the presence of God. And you want to sense the presence of God. And you want to know the presence of God. God is saying, I'm there. <laughs> Why are you denying what I've already given you? And you see, and, and, and these, these Gnostics, that they would believe this, that they would believe that the closer they get, the more the intellectual they get, the closer they get to God. And that was their whole thing. We've studied this. We've talked about this already. So, so Paul counters that false teaching by stating that all the fullness of the deity is not spread out in these little small doses of the spirit that comes down. You get a little bit here. You get a little bit there. You get a second blessing. Come back for a third blessing. Come back next Sunday to get another one. And by the way, the more you give, the more you get. You know, because that's the way it works. It's, and, and, and you, you know, you want, you want some more. And then you got to give a little bit more. And the more that you give financially, the better you are. And, and so these Gnostic thinkings, Paul's saying it, it doesn't work that way. The fullness of God is in Jesus Christ, and you've got it. You've got it. And it's God's pleasure to reconcile us. He wants to give you all of that. But, but it's not so that you can feel better. It's not, I mean, you, you will feel better. It's not that you can prosper. You know, a lot of times that's, what happens is a lot of times you prosper, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to give you the ability to worship God, to bring glory to God in your life. You fall on, his, on your face and you recognize that He is the Savior of the world. He has saved you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are ready to take on the world and you're ready to be justified by God. The word reconcile. We're talking about reconcile. And we'll talk about this in, in verse 20. And through Him... 
to reconcile to himself all things. The word reconcile is, is a very, it's a very descriptive word. It's, it's one of those words that they use for salvation. And it's one of the five key words that's used in the New Testament to, to show the richness of Jesus Christ's salvation, along with justification, redemption, forgiveness, and adoption. But, but reconciliation, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a, a balancing term as far as accounting is concerned, to reconcile your books, to, to, to be able to pay off the debt, to be able to, to, to say, okay, this has reconciled this, and so we're going to apply this to that, that one object or whatever it is that you owe, that debt that you owe. Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. We are so far away from God. We were so far away. We were dead. And Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. And just like in justification, justification is another word that the sinner stands before God guilty and condemned. But now we are, and this is an old Sunday school from kids, Sunday school classroom. We are just if I'd never sinned. Think about justified that way. Just if I'd never sinned. We stand condemned. We stand guilty before God. But now I am justified and I'm declared righteous. As a matter of fact, Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And when He justifies, you're justified as you had never sinned. But we know we're sinners. But God looks at us through the justification of Jesus Christ. And just like forgiveness, the sinner stands before God as a debtor. I owe this debt. But the debt is paid in full and has been forgotten. It's Once it's paid, it's paid. Uh, you know, and I hope that when you paid off your car, if you have, or you've paid off a, a whatever, a vehicle or a house or anything that you've purchased, I hope that nobody comes back and says, hey, you still owe me some money. <laughs> Otherwise, you never really paid it off. But for Jesus and for God, once that price was paid, it is done. It is finished. Tetelestai. That's what Jesus Christ said. It is finished. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace. And, and this, we're going to talk about His blood here in just a bit. And this blood that was poured out, it was poured out for those that are the elect. And reconciliation. He reconciles a sinner and He stands before God as God's enemy, but now you are God's friend. All this, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled you so that you, in turn, can have the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk on that here a little bit. There's another, there's another term that is used in, in uh, salvation. It's called adoption. You're adopted. There is this idea, this thought that everybody is God's child. We are all God's children on this planet. We are all, we all belong to God and we are, we're all God's children. No, we're all God's creation. Jesus made this distinction when he was talking to the Pharisees. He says, you're not children of Abraham. If you were children of Abraham, you would know who I am. Being children of Abraham, by the way, is being God's children. And if you were children of Abraham, you would know that Abraham talked about me even back in the day. But you are children of your father, the devil. And he pointed them out. Oh, they got mad. You're telling us we're the children of the devil. And Jesus made that distinction. There's children of God and there's children of Satan. You see, in order to be a child of God, you have to be born into his kingdom. Or you have to be reborn, or you have to be adopted into his kingdom. And beloved, we are Gentiles, and we are adopted, we are grafted in because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
He sent Paul and Peter and he sent all these disciples to proclaim the, the good word, the, the good news. Jesus told them, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem, first and foremost, the people of the Jewish people, you will be witnesses to them. Judea, and you're going to have to go out a little bit further to find my people. Samaria, now these Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and they were half-something else. And they hated each other, the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus said, you will be witnesses to them too. And guess what? You're going to be witnesses to the rest of the world as well. That includes you and me. Yes, it started in Jerusalem, it went to Judea, and it went to Samaria, and it went to the rest of the world. And that's how we proclaim the gospel. We start at home, we go to our neighbors, we go to the people that we don't like, <laughs> or the people that we hate for whatever reason, the way they were born, to whom they were born, or whatever the case may be, relative or not, and to the rest of the world. And guess what? Jesus promised you this. You will have the power to do that. I will give you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, not to speak in tongues, jump around, roll down the road and jump from pew to pew and hang it on chandeliers. That's not what it's for, beloved. It is, to give, it is to give you the ability to proclaim the gospel to people that other you otherwise wouldn't talk to, like people in your family that you just do not like. People in your family that you just, you know what? And you look at them and say, man, I, I just, I hope Jesus comes quick. He should come right now. Leave him behind. Leave her behind. That's the person that you need to talk to. Guess what? The Holy Spirit will give you the power to do so. And to reconcile. When you reconcile something, you change it or you exchange it. And we're, we're being exchanged. And it speaks of this change relationship that, that happens in, in Scripture. And you're changing. You're being reconciled that which you used to be to what you are now. And, and it means thoroughly, completely, or totally changed and reconciled. It's totally, not, not just part, part ways. You don't get saved a little bit now and a little bit later. No, you're reconciled totally. Now it's your responsibility and my responsibility to train you, to teach you, to help you, to develop you, to edify you. And you need to get into God's Word so that you can learn what it is that God wants you to do. And Paul used the strongest term in, to the Colossians to counterattack the false teachers because they held that Christ was merely just another spirit emanating from God. And they also denied the possibility of man being able to be reconciled to God. You can't get reconciled to God. Not without this intellectual ascent. Not without this understanding of who God is. And you gotta, you gotta go through all these emanations, all these spirits. Jesus, you can't go through Him. He's just one of those emanations. You gotta get straight to the Father. And Paul emphasized that there is total, complete, full reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, beloved, it may not make a lot of sense right now to you, but believe me, if you've been to some places, they'll tell you, oh yeah, you need to be saved, but you need to speak in tongues. Or you need to be saved, but you know, you got to get divine wisdom. Or you need to be saved, but you, know, but, you, know, you have to be in, involved in this church or apostolic teaching or whatever the case may be. You need to get saved, but you got to knock on a few doors. You need to be saved, but you also have to say prayers. You need to be saved, but you have to belong to our church. You got to go through certain sacraments. You know, and even then, we can't guarantee that you're going to make it to heaven. You're going to end up in this place called purgatory, and we got to pray you out. And we got to pray for you and, and get you into heaven. And this is the truth to a relative of mine that passed away just recently. And, you know, they were, uh, the, the parents and family were praying this person through purgatory. And they said, you know, we have prayed for him so much that he has surpassed God and gone way past heaven by this time. I go, oh my God. As if the cross wasn't sufficient. 
You know, you may laugh at that, but there are people that have superstitiously put their faith in that kind of teaching. The cross is all we need. You, ba- you base your faith upon that. You trust that Jesus Christ took care of everything. Paul says, you've been reconciled. You, you know, and because all of it has been given to Jesus Christ. The fullness of him has been given to him. Number two, God reconciled us through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is all I've been talking about. I, you know, I, I've been talking about that through, you know, the fullness of Christ. The fullness of God is in Christ. And it pleased the Father to reconcile us. But, but you know, for me, the gospel message is through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. And this is not a point that I'm just making for the first time. This is a point of my life. Everything is about Jesus. Amen? And through Him, Paul says in verse 20 and 21, through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. We talk about that. We sing about that. We, we, we share the cup and communion that represents his blood. You're washed by the blood of the lamb. Are you, are your clothes as spotless, as, as white and as white as snow? Are, are you washed in the blood? Have you been, have you committed your life by the blood of Jesus Christ? We talk about that and it's, it's kind of gory sometimes. What? You know, the, you guys are talking about blood? What are you guys, cannibals? As a matter of fact, when Christianity first started and they would have this love feast, this Lord's Supper. They would take the bread and they would say, this is the body of Jesus Christ. They would take the cup of juice and say, this is his blood. And the people who were hearing on the outside, those guys are in there eating flesh and drinking blood. These guys are cannibals, man. What are they doing? You know, why is it that they're doing that? And they would call them cannibal Christians. And uh, they, they would believe that they were, you know, doing that. And as a matter of fact, in some places, in some churches, they have this thought and this idea of, of what's called transubstantiation. It's the doctrine of transubstantiation, where what literally happens is when you take the bread, right, and you take the, the, the wafer, it literally transitions or transforms into flesh. And you're eating the flesh of Christ because Jesus said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So they take the wafer, and the moment they eat it, it transforms, just like the wine or the juice. The moment you drink it, it transforms into the body or the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's this doctrine that's out there in, in different denominations and churches that actually believe this. There's also another uh, doctrine called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation means that when you take the bread and you take the juice, then there's an extra blessing that is given on top of you. And so you take this as often as you can to be blessed even more so. And there is this mystical idea about the blood of Jesus Christ as if it was a secret potion or something that would, would help you. And, and uh, it is believed in some churches and some places that there is a, a secret vial of Jesus's blood that is being held in heaven that he eventually or sometimes would sprinkle on some of his believers, those that are specially anointed. And so you can proclaim and you can call out for this blood to heal you and to transform you and to change you. Now, when we talk about the blood of Jesus in Christendom, and this is pretty much across the spectrum in most Christian denominations, it's symbolic. It literally is symbolic. Uh, Jesus Christ said, this is my body, okay? I, I, eat this. This is my bread. And, uh, and when he said that, he also said, you know, I am the gate. You know, he's not a gate. I am the door, okay? He's not a door. I am the vine, okay? This is symbolism. But he says this, I want you to do this in, in every time that you do this. Unless you understand, again, Jewish thought, when you come to one of our Passover meals, it's not because we want to be Jewish. We want to show you where Jesus Christ got this wafer, got this bread, where Jesus got this cup. That bread is the bread of affliction. It is designed inside of their Passover meal. 
Passover is somewhat similar to our Thanksgiving meal. We have a turkey, we have uh, stuffing with uh, hamburger meat in it. Yeah, that was good. We have cranberry sauce, which is excellent. I love that. Thank you, Daniel. We have, uh, you know, we have all our little side dishes that we have with mashed potatoes. Got to have mashed potatoes, right? Can't have mashed potatoes with gravy. And so for Thanksgiving, we have a spread of food. And it's symbolic in a sense of things that, well, the, the pilgrims might have gone through. Don't forget the corn and all that other stuff that we have there and, and the breads and all that. But, but it's symbolic. For the Jewish person, it was more than just symbolism. It was life, real life. See, when they escaped out of Egypt, God had initiated what was called the Passover meal. But the Passover dealt with more uh, a, a very supernatural phenomena that took place. By the time that the Israelites were let go of Egypt, there had been nine plagues that God had dispelled and dispensed upon the Egyptian people and the king. I mean, there was the river turned into blood. There was frogs. There was gnats. There was uh, boils. There was hail. There was all kinds of things. You know, these nine things that happened. And, and Pharaoh would harden his heart even more. So I'm not letting him go. I'm not letting him go. And God says, okay, the firstborn is going to die. The firstborn of everything is going to die in this land. And he told the people of Israel, look, in order to protect, protect you, because I'm going to send the angel of death, and he's going to kill every firstborn of this whole land. And in order to protect you and keep you safe, Get a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, spotless, without any defect. What you need to do is you slaughter it. It's got, it's got to be, it's got to be a slaughter. You got to kill this thing. And you got to take the blood from this, this animal once you've slaughtered it. And, and once you've slaughtered it and you, you, you take the blood and you put it in a basin, you get some hyssop and you put it over your doorpost. And this blood that is going to be sprinkled over your doorpost, people are thinking, this is gory. Why, why would we want to do that? And God says, because when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house and he will pass over your threshold and you will be saved. And anyone that does not have this blood on their doorpost, they will be destroyed. The firstborn will die. And there was a crying throughout the whole land. The firstborn of everyone died. Pharaoh's firstborn son was killed. And he finally says, you know what? Go, go get out of here before anything else happens. And they got up in the haste and they took off. See, that blood that we talk about, Jesus' blood, it cost him his life. Just like that lamb, it was a picture of Jesus Christ to come. And every year the Jewish people celebrate Passover, not recognizing that Jesus Christ fulfilled that prophecy. And in that Passover meal, they would have uh, unleavened bread. And this unleavened bread, it, it, was to, it was designed to be hidden in these, these little bags that, that had three compartments. And in the middle bag, you would have one bread, it's called the afikom, and they would, they would break it. And it was the bread of affliction that they would hide and wrap in a paper towel for, for some time. And then the children go around the room, and they, it's a little game that they play, and we do it with our kids as well. And I think, who won last year? I can't remember who it was. Samuel? No, I think it was John Well, wasn't it? I think he won five bucks or something. Yeah, I, I can't remember what was it won. But anyways, yeah, we, when we, we redeem it. We redeem that piece of bread and we redeem it and, and it is pierced and this bread of affliction. It is that bread of affliction that Jesus took out of the, 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 the afikomen, uh, the unity bag. He took that afikomen out of there and he snapped and he said, this bread of affliction that you guys have been hiding all these years and you guys have been looking at and wondering why it's pierced. This is my body. And it wasn't just random. It wasn't like Jesus says, hey, anybody got any bread? Oh yeah, grab that bread. Yeah, this is my, it wasn't random. It was in, during the Passover. 
And the cup, the cup that he got, it was, they had four cups in this Passover meal. They, and the first cup was the start. The second cup was the celebration. The third cup was the cup of redemption. And he took that cup and he says, this is my blood. And for the Jewish people, they knew that God was going to redeem the, their people. Israel knew that the people of Israel were going to be redeemed. And that blood of redemption was how it was going to take place. Jesus picked it up and says, this is my blood. Symbolism. And he took that. There were four cups. The fourth cup, Jesus didn't drink of it. He says, you know, I will eat and drink of this when I see you again. All right, that'll be next year, most of them thought. That very night, he was rested, crucified, buried, and resurrected the next day. And all of this is a picture to show the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's precious, yes, but it's not the literal blood that we're looking at. It's not the, because, because if all it was was just blood, then Jesus Christ could have, you know, just cut his hand and, you know, just squeeze some around there. Here, there's my blood. It's powerful. It'll save you. It's symbolic. It is symbolic of what Jesus Christ had to do because if that's all he needed to do was give blood, he could have given blood. He could have, gone down, he could have went down to the blood donation bank and says, okay, here, let me just give some blood. You know, he, he could have done that, but well, first of all, there wasn't any blood donation banks. And okay, I'm, I'm, I digest. The moment I said that word, I knew it was the wrong word. I digress. Mm. Anyways, um, what Jesus did is not just give his blood, but it was in the manner that it was given. It was given in such a sacrificial way. It cost him his life. And it was, it was a sacrifice. It was painful. It was ugly. They murdered him. They beat him to a pulp. And when they beat him to a pulp and, and they accused him of all kinds of lies and things that were going on. And, and they said, you know, he said he was going to tear down this temple. You know, this man, he, he can't tear down no temple. You know, he said he's, he, he wants to be king. He wants to be king above, above Caesar. Caesar can't, only there's only one king. We only recognize Caesar, they said. This crucifixion, this torture that Jesus Christ endured is embedded in Isaiah 53. And they just could not look at and see the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. They could not see that. They could not see the blood that was going to be poured out. And they couldn't see how it just, 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 it, it flows. It flows right with the lamb. It flows right with the whole Passover meal. It flows with, with everything that God has been preparing them for. They just did not see that. This blood is not the literal blood, but it's a, a picture of the sacrifice and everything that Jesus Christ had to go through. And to reconcile to himself, to Jesus Christ, you know, that's what he had to do. But Paul is talking about not only just you and I, he's talking about the whole world. See, look at this. In verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul is talking about everything in heaven or on earth. Demons, angels, earth, planet, stuff. The world is broken, beloved. This is not heaven. This is a broken planet. And this planet, because it's broken, it's, it's because of sin. When God created man, man sinned, pulled him out of a perfect place of the garden. He says, now, because of you, I told you you would die, but I have grace. And I'm not going to kill you at the moment. My grace is going to cover you, and now everything is going to be cursed. This planet has been cursed ever since. By the sweat of your brow, you would work. Thorns and thistles will pop up everywhere. 
If you know anything about thorns and thistles, if you don't, just come around here during the springtime. After the rains, they're just going to pop up. We don't even plant them, do we, James? <laughs> they just pop up. Yeah, you don't have, all you have to do for thorns and thistles to pop up is do nothing. The picture of thorns and thistles is a picture of neglect. Thorns and thistles, uh, weeds, all these things that are in, in the area, it's, it's a picture of, we're not keeping an eye on the sin, the seed. And this place is broken and the fall has resulted not only in, in, in damaging us and our relationship with God, but also the world. And the world is damaged and has, has been damaged. It'll continue to be damaged. And we lived in a, in a cursed earth and a cursed universe. And both are under the, the influence of Satan. And, and, and God, he's the God of this world. And, and he's the prince of the power of the air. And there is deception in all humanity who do not turn to God's word. And we're deceived. And we're thinking that these things are being done because you're doing it. You're causing the cows to emit gas in this pollution in the world and you're destroying the planet with all the the chemicals and things that you use and you're just taking up all the resources and you're the one and we're deceived and so we fight and we try and we struggle and we move in trying to protect this planet and beloved this planet has been doomed from the beginning now you've heard me say this before please don't litter Take care of your stuff. Recycle. You make some money. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Take care of the things that you can do. And, 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 you know, if you can, do more. But this delusion that we have that it's you that's causing this, that it's the, the big oil companies or you, whatever it is that you're blaming everybody else. No, this planet has been doomed from the beginning. And you see, and what Satan has done, he's taken that and he's applied it to the people that are trying to control everything and put everything in this one world order. And they're trying to control everything in such a way that says, yeah, you cannot buy. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I'm 60, almost 70. No, 63, four. I'm 64. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And I'm old and I, I, I forget quite a bit. Uh, what was I going to go with that? Okay. Anyways, uh, just kidding. In 1980, in the 80s, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was supposedly a gas shortage. You guys remember that? And, and yeah, you remember that. And, you know, we, we depleted the, the, the Earth's resources. We had bled Mother Nature dry. And so that was the call. We've bled Mother Nature dry, and she is crying out to us, and we have to stop this bleeding. And so what they did is they, they but there's no more gas. And they closed down all the gas stations. And you could only get gas every other day, uh, according to your license plate. And gas stations were closed. There were gas lines all over the place. And yeah, we were depleting it. The, the rainforest was dying. We had been, we chopped down all the trees and they stopped selling paper bags and, you know, all these things. And, and I mean, it was just a huge scare. Then all of a sudden, we got gas, paper bags, everything else. Now it's plastic. Now it's straws. Now it's, I mean, it's just one thing after another. And it's always been a scare of some sort. Now, this is the time that I was alive. You know, I don't know what they used to do before. But beloved, we have to be reminded that this planet will die. But it's not because of you. Okay, God will use everything at his disposal to take care of everything that's going to happen. God wants to redeem this planet. And there's this idea, and there's this theology, this doctrine. And I don't want to get too much into it because it's it's it's... But, but it's what Paul's talking about. Everything in heaven and on earth, God is going to reconcile, put everything back in its place the way it should be. Isaiah talks about this when he says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down, lie down with the young goat. You know, if you want to look this up, uh, it's Isaiah 11, verses 6 and 9. 
if you want to write this down, because Isaiah talks a lot about how it's going to see, how it's going to look. But he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. Look at this, the bear, a meat-eating flesh animal, and the, and the cow, both of them grazing. This is where we get our nourishment from. This is the way it was before the flood. Before the flood, it was, it was that way. We, we were vegetarians. We ate the seed bearing fruit. And there was all the fruit that we wanted to eat. In Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, it, it rescinded and it was dry land. God says, okay, now the fear of you is going to be upon all the animals. At that time, apparently, prior to that, all the animals didn't fear people. You know, this thing about dinosaurs fearing man and all this other stuff. Well, I don't know, but in Noah's day, at that time, they were at peace with each other. Because now from this point forward, they are going to fear you. And God says, I give you everything that crawls on its earth as food for you. Just like I gave you the vegetation, I give you this. And beef, thank God, was created. Barbecues. Amen. Carne, carne asada and carne molida, you know, whatever, whatever it was that's out there. And it was given to us, but... God is going to redeem this planet and he's going to bring it back into its original state. And the cow and the lion and the bear are going to grow together. And he goes on to say this, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in any my holy mountains, in, in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, and, and what would, Isaiah is showing us is what this is going to look like. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19 and 20, he says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall be no more, uh, and shall go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. There's going to be this tremendous, dramatic change in the climate and in everything that's going to take place. It's just going to... It's, this has been prophesied from the beginning. God and creation will be reconciled. And it's got to be wiped clean in order for it to start all over again. The curse of Genesis 3 will be removed. And we might say that God will make friends with the universe again. The universe will be restored back to its proper relationship with its creator. But finally, after the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, there will indeed be a new heaven and a new earth. As a matter of fact, this is what Peter said. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says in chapter 3 verses 10 on, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away. It'll just pass away. With the roar, I mean, the explosion that these atoms are going to do when they are just released. It's just going to cause a huge burst of energy throughout the universe. And kaboom, everything's going to just blow up. And the heaven and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up. You know, not only will they pass away, but they'll be burnt up and dissolved. In other words, just completely gone. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Peter uses that word again, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, he says it again, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, when 
Paul is talking about reconciling everything in heaven and on earth. He's talking about bringing everything back to its proper relationship to God. And beloved, it's going to happen. And it's been prophesied and we see the evidence of it. But it's God doing all this. You know, if the, if the, if the uh, polar caps are melting and the polar bears are dying, you know, it's God that's doing that. There's a theory called uh, polar shifts that, that happened years ago and uh, that somebody came up with. And apparently they found tropical plants in the North and the South Pole. And so these plants that were found in these cold places that's, you know, close to Kelvin, way below zero, they, you know, that these, these plants that they found up there, uh, they believe that, you know, that at one time, what, what probably would happen is that uh, the, the equator was like this, all the tropical stuff in the South Pole and the North Pole got filled with a bunch of ice and it got so heavy that the planet went like this. And it shifted. It's called the polar shift. I, yeah, I know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a theory. A lot of people believe in it. And they say that's the way it happened. Made you laugh. And thank you. <laughs> because to be honest with you, what, what really happened is if you know anything about the Bible, the planet was flooded. It was flooded by God. And, uh, you know, the, at that time, there was no sunshine coming into the, into the, uh, the atmosphere because there was a mist. Accordingly, according to the Bible, there was a mist uh, that covered the globe. And this, this mist is what God squeezed like a, like a sponge to get all the water into the ground and out of the ground and to flood the earth. And this is why when they saw the rainbow for the first time, they go, wow, what is that? Well, that's my promise, God says. That's my covenant. I will never flood the planet again. I'll never flood the planet again. So the, the, the idea is that the planet was at one time covered in this fog, in this mist that protected the whole planet. This is why people lived so long. They didn't have the uh, radiation effect of the solar system and, uh, and of the sun coming down here because of this mist that took care of everything. But once God flooded the earth, and that's why there was no rain. There wasn't needed any rain. You had this mist covering the whole planet. And once that was done, boom. We had the flood. And so, yeah, there would have been tropical plants in the North Pole and the South Pole as well. And so once all that was taken care of, these, these poles, because the way the world is tilted at 23.5 degrees, it's far away from the sun. And this is getting cold and this is getting cold. And the colder it gets, yeah, it, it freezes. And so you have these, this polar shifting. Now, again, many people believe that these, these polar, well, at one time they believed that they were getting really heavy and that we were going to have another polar shift. But now instead of having a polar shift, they are melting which is causing the sea levels to rise. And, you know, so, yeah, those things are going to happen. The Bible talks about these things. God says, I'm going to take the mountains and toss them into the sea. Oh, yeah, the heavens, by the way, are going to be opened up like a scroll. Oh, the stars, they're going to come down on you. Uh, there's going to be a meteor shower that's going to affect you. There's, there's going to be earthquakes like you had never seen before. There's going to be just the family. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that's going to happen here, but it's not because of you. God's already said this is going to happen. And Paul is saying, you know what? Again, and he's talking right at the face of this dualistic philosophy that the Colossians had in this heretic teaching. They taught that all matter was evil and that spirit was good. And in their schemes that God did not create the physical universe. And he certainly would not wish to be to reconcile it. You know, I mean, this is, this is an evil planet. God is holy and pure. He doesn't want to reconcile this planet. Why would he want to do that? But Paul says, no. He's going to reconcile this planet. And in the same time, he's going to reconcile you. 
He's going to reconcile you back to your original condition. You know, the Bible says, and I'm going to touch on this just right now, that we were, uh, well, he goes on to say here that, um, that, that and through him to reconcile to himself all things, now I'm back in verse 20, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's us. We were alienated from God. We were hostile. In other words, we were enemies of God. There was enmity between him and I. We were doing evil things because we weren't doing the things that God wanted us to do. This is a theme of the New Testament that Paul continues to preach. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. As a matter of fact, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible says that we were by nature children of wrath, not children of God. And like the rest of all mankind, and he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12, Now remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God. And as much hope as you wanted to have without regeneration, without reconciliation, without forgiveness, there is none of that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, and we were hostile in mind and we were engaged in evil deeds. And, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Beloved, that's us. Prior to the reconciliation of God, that's us. That's us. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 3.10, he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are in a wretched state. But it's only by the reconciliation of God, reconciling this world and reconciling us to Him, that we are able to be saved by the blood that was shed on the cross. You see, when Jesus took that cup and when Jesus took that, that bread and he said, look, this is my body, this is my blood. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are part of that body and the reason as to why it is that he is saving you, not because I'm good, not because of what I've done, not because of anything. Our culture today has, is teaching our children is teaching you that you're worthless. You're no good. As a matter of fact, you're a mistake. You were created in a very different state than you, what you should be. Your, your God or the, your creator, whatever created you, didn't make you right. As a matter of fact, let us make you better. Let us change your gender identity. Let us change you so that you can be right. Well, they do have one thing right. You're not right. We're sinners. But nobody can change the heart except for Jesus Christ. The last verse I want to share with you is Romans 5, 6. Romans 5, 6 through 10. Because this is key to close out with. Paul says in Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, when you get to that portion of Scripture, if you want, you can just underline that. When we were still weak, at a point when you were dead to your sin, alienated from God, 
at a point when you were just uh, away from God, totally distant from God, not even part of the commonwealth, not even part of anything. You were at enmity with God at while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. While I was weak, I was ungodly. Jesus Christ died for me at just the right time. At just the right time, he came. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the moment of the ugliest part of my life, at the time that I really felt that nothing else was going to help me, I didn't even realize, even know that Jesus Christ had already died for me. Yeah, but God, all the stuff that I've done, Jesus has taken care of that. I, 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 I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. Just believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I want to believe it. Help me in my own belief. Help me in the things that I cannot understand. And I place my faith in Jesus Christ because he woke me up at that time. Just like we just woke up William. <laughs> he was sleeping soundly. <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. There's that word again. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved. If you're reconciled, when you were God's enemy, what Paul is saying, then you think about it. If while you were the worst of the worst, when you were at the point of your life when everything was just bad, and all you thought about was yourself and your self-gain, your self-glory, and yourself and you, now that you have been reconciled, how much more do you think God is going to reconcile you or bring you together? Or how much more are you going to get closer to God? Even when you felt the furthest away, now that you understand you're reconciled, don't you think God's going to love you even more so? And yet we live a life, a defeated life, as if, woe is me. Beloved, understand that you've been reconciled. Live like it. Walk like it. Walk in the strength that He has given you. Let me ask you to stand. The bad news. Can't understand the good news without the bad news. I was a wretch. I was a wretch. And Lord, I thank you that you, you look down upon this wretch. And you look down upon this, this wicked man and, and you saw your son. And then you reached down and saved me at a point where I was at the worst. And Father, I know that you've done this countless times over and over and over again. And many of my brethren are here this morning understanding that same principle. And so, Lord, when we look at the cross, when we look at the blood, when we look at the sacrifice, when we look at what it took to get us to that point, help us to be ever grateful and to work closer to it. Lord, we know that this, this whole system is coming to an end. And we know that you've talked about this from the very beginning. Isaiah, 800 years before Christ, is, is, is talked about this. Paul, 2,000 years ago. John, 2,000 years ago. This is something that you've, you've been working toward. And right now, we are caught right in the middle of it all. At this day and age, at this time. 
to not only to be reconciled to you, but to give us the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, help us to take that on because we know the time is short. So Father, I I just thank you for what Paul is teaching the Colossians and teaching us at the same time. And I thank you, Father, that, that you saw good that in us, somehow, to save us. Not good in us, but you saw good in yourself to save us. So thank you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right. Thank you so much. We'll finish this up next week.